I gotta say, I'm pretty disappointed that you haven't become a viral social media star. I don't really have that much social media. I'm on LinkedIn, but uh, I, I'm, I'm not uh, not huge on like the Insta snaps and whatnot. What about uh, what about TikTok? Are you big on TikTok? Uh, no, I'm not on TikTok either. Um, I'll be honest, like when you know when like social media marketing was like you know Facebook marketing and Facebook ads and things like that, and Twitter like was like becoming a thing. I was just all over like, oh, you could use Foursquare to check in. Like, you know, I was all over all that stuff. And then oh, like it was at the time, it was just so hard to make any sort of return. And so like, it was just hard for me to spin it as a marketer to spin it to customers. Like, this is a good idea. Like, this is something to dip your toe into for right now, but it, it doesn't have staying power at, at this point and you're not getting your money back at this point you're getting like brand awareness. it was great for like brand awareness and things like that but at that point there wasn't like lots of like mobile conversions and checkout and you know digital pay wasn't as as accessible so i it, it was it was hard for me to keep pressing social media to you know to like ad agency customers and to clients when i i couldn't prove the case myself i feel like you would were a check-in person on foursquare oh i was yeah, I was oh, mayor yeah. of multiple locations, including my office. Um, McAllister's Deli, that was awesome. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was big. Like Foursquare, I thought was awesome. Actually, I think Foursquare's still around. Uh, I think they were like Tetherball or something like that beforehand. There was like some acquisition and Foursquare became yeah. a thing. And then like, yeah, those like when Facebook check-ins and things like that took over, I was like, all right, well, you know, everybody has Facebook. You have to download Foursquare. Like the accessibility thing is shot. Foursquare, I thought that was the coolest thing. If you were a mayor, you got like, you know, 50% 50, 50 off your first appetizer at a restaurant or whatever, things like that. Little little specials like that, little kickbacks. That was cool for a hot minute. Yeah, they're still around. They they brand themselves now as a leading location technology platform. So obviously they're they're going after a different market. They bought Unfolded a year ago, which I don't know what Unfolded is, but I don't like Unfolded clothes. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> what about you? I bet you ran from social media for the longest time. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, in it as they say, but uh, I'm, I'm cool. I like, I like finding a cool deal on marketplace. That counts. Right. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah market, so, that's, that's another one of those things like the accessibility point, like they bumped all the location services out of the way when Facebook came in with check-ins marketplace bumped out like the craigslist and you know all yeah. those because there were dozens of those types of kind of like little things like that just became so easy and accessible it's just it just pops up now as a feature if it's your 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 only hope is one of those like other companies those like specialists like location services or you know community um trade and swaps things like that like your only hope is to be acquired by facebook otherwise they're just going to build the technology to to beat you with it well, I'm sure people would love to continue to listen to us talking about things that we don't use that they're probably interested in because it's part of their everyday everyday lives and jobs. So as we uh, continue diving into the Ultraviolet series, we've got Ryan McCambridge, who um, is the SVP of strategy here at Lev, and he's joined by Crystal Washington. Crystal is a uh, technology strategist. She's a certified futurist, which I don't know. How do you become a certified futurist? Um, I, I'm pretty sure you and I don't have to worry about that. 
uh, with, you know, me putting all those chips on Foursquare and things like that, like, no, that panned out. I'm not going to be that in, anytime soon. I, I mean, I think we need to become futurists. Pretty sure you can order a crystal ball online. The Futurist Institute. There's courses. There's all kinds of things. Futurist, future of finance. Man, that's pretty cool. Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, I know. We should look into yeah, it. Of so, I, but anyway, Crystal, uh, she's also the author of One Tech Action and the Social Media Why, and she joins Ryan to share her unique perspective about what marketers might expect to see on the horizon in our ever-changing world. And they also dive a little bit into the metaverse, um, which we know absolutely nothing about. So hope you enjoy, and we'll be back for Completely Unrelated. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Happy Wednesday. I hope you're enjoying day two of Ultraviolet. And thank you so much for finding time in your day to spend some time in our last keynote. I'm extremely excited about today's keynote um, with Crystal Washington. My name is Ryan McCambridge. I'm the Senior Vice President of Channel and Strategy here at LEV. And with that, I'm excited to introduce our speaker that I get to interview today, Crystal Washington. Crystal is a author, technology strategist, and futurist. And she works with organizations that want to leverage technology to increase profits and productivity. As a technology strategist and certified futurist, she takes complex social media, app, and web topics and makes them easy to understand and accessible for everyday people. As one of Forbes' 50 leading female futurists, she appears weekly on season two of the Emmy-nominated show Life 2.0, and she's appeared in numerous publications, including Entrepreneur and Bloomberg Businessweek. She is also the author of the books One Tech Action and The Social Media Why. Crystal, we're thrilled to have you. Thank you for joining us today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I hope, uh, I hope you've had a great week. And we are just so excited to have your energy with us today as we continue on day two of Ultraviolet. We've had a great day one. Day two has been going really well. We, we had a uh, hybrid event yesterday, Crystal, where it really felt like we were getting back to the real world, seeing actual human beings that are outside of our family in a venue that was made for social gathering and fun. Um, at our concert. And I just want to thank our marketing team for putting on such an incredible event in a hybrid model that just worked out really, really, really well. And we're looking forward to next year, hopefully having everything in person. And that kind of leads me to my first question, Crystal. Mm -hmm. We're coming out of hibernation. At least it, we're all hopeful that we're coming out of hibernation. And now that we're doing that, how do you see the future of work? And especially around the social engagement aspect of how companies and, and people are going to engage with each other. Because when we were even out there yesterday, you know, we're all like, how do we do this? Do we have to relearn this? Are there underlying rules that apply to us now? So I'm really curious as you're seeing these organizations that you're helping and speaking with, what are you seeing and how are you advising them on what, what to prepare for and what the future of work looks like? What's interesting is when we talk about the future of work, we're playing the game as the rules are being written right now. You know, we've kind of gone through this situation where things have shifted and now there's no one size fits all answer. 
we're seeing differences in industries. You know, Ryan, I'm sure you've seen this, that in some of the, you know, for some of the big tech companies, their people are refusing to come back, right? They're just saying, absolutely not. I can be recruited over here because there's also this worker shortage, right? Um, in some industries where people are used to face-to-face, -face, like travel and tourism, right? They are craving to be more around each other and also around their clients as well. And so there's not a one size fits all, but I think the important messaging here is that we get a chance to drive change. We get a chance to see, you know, how can we shift up our, com our company culture? So are we a company that's gonna go forward hybrid or where we work less days during the week and some more remote? Are we an organization that's going to allow people to work virtual that want to? And if so, from a social standpoint, that's actually gonna create some interesting issues. The New York Times ran, ran an article a few months ago where it was showing that companies were already um, divesting in some of their real estate. They were starting to get rid of some of their real estate. And the money that they were saving in real estate because less people were coming into the office and they didn't see that changing in the foreseeable future, they were then taking some of that money and they were investing in more and more team building activities. And so they were having things where they were bringing people together. And again, in different places, rules are a little bit different, right? And actually creating things where they were doing nature things or you know, bringing them together for some other type of fun event. And so the money that's being taken out of real estate is being invested into people. One of the biggest challenges though, as we look at the future of work, is the socialization, even in terms of collaboration. I'm sure most of us have figured out it's a little bit trickier to collaborate with a team strictly remotely, right? Um, some of the tools that we use for collaboration are technical-based tools. So you get in there, you're editing things together, you're mind mapping together. But what we're not having are those spontaneous water cooler conversations that might spark a great idea. Or you saw something earlier and you mentioned it to the person over here and you think, you know, this might be an interesting ad or this might be something kind of cool to add to our marketing campaign. So what happens when we don't have those spontaneous interactions? Then, depending on the industry you're in, and I know this isn't just a, a one simple answer, but I think it's important that we dig deep into this. You know, some people are missing that interaction and they're needing ways to connect. Some companies have brought in people who have never met their coworkers. They've been working for a company a year or more and have never met them face to face. And so I say all of these things to say, we have an opportunity to create the future we want within our organization, but we can't force it on anyone. So it actually takes us looking at the other people within our organizations, polling them, getting their input, and then creating something cohesive that everyone can take part in and is proud of. I think that's really interesting that you bring that up because as we were having the concert we were talking to you about yesterday, 80% mm -hmm. of the people that came, I didn't know. I've never met in person. So Lev had the fortune of, of really having an opportunity to grow as an organization that helps people rethink engagement with people. It, you know, this, challenging time was a real opportunity for us to really be uh, thought leaders for our customers and our prospects. And so we had this awesome opportunity of growth and Lev's growth was always centered around this idea of culture. And, and what I'm hearing mm -hmm. from you is like, really the culture is what's going to drive what we do next, whether we're in a pandemic, post pandemic, next pandemic. Um, and, and it's up to us to really decide. And to your point, employees expect their voices to be heard these days. And 
I, I agree. And I think this is very similar. You know, everyone that's with us right now from a marketing perspective, there used to be a one size fits all for the most part way to market it. You know, if we go back 30 years, you marketed for the most part on television or in print publications. But now, depending on how wide your base is, you might do some email marketing, you might do some retargeting, but you know what? Some of your people may not be that active online. So if you have some people that are traditionalists, maybe you might have to still mail things. So now what we're seeing is, is this diversification, even our, in our internal customers as well and what their desires are. And so we're just working with that. And I'll say the benefit to this that I, I don't know if enough people talk about this is that when we do have a hybrid or a remote work experience, our talent pool suddenly widens. And the more people we have access to with the more diversity, you have more diversity of thought and ideas. And so now if you can start recruiting people from other parts of the country, maybe from other parts of the world that normally you wouldn't have had at your organization, now the breadth of your ideas has expanded tremendously. You're absolutely right. And, and that was our, when, when we go back and look at how Lev started, that was really the catalyst to our success where we always wanted to find the right person didn't matter where they were. And we embraced remote cultures and, and found a culture that grew so that these kind of engagements and interactions could happen um, for us to be successful because aptitude and attitude is what's going to accelerate your, your company forward, not where you live and where you sit. So I love that. super insightful. Um, I kind of, you know, as we're moving to the next question that I have, I want to set some context for the folks that we're going to be talking to. We've had the, I've had the pleasure of getting to talk to you a couple of times before this. One, <laughs> energy is infectious. So just absolutely, I, I, if I can't stop grinning that I had this opportunity, Crystal. So again, thank you. Oh. But two, I wanted to take the opportunity to really talk about some of these topics that people are hearing. So less about the tactics. We'll get into some of the tactics at the end that will anchor in some of that. Okay. You want to talk about some of these really interesting, or you might even call them crazy concepts that all of these people that are on this call are listening to and hearing and being prepared for. Um, and so that's where I want to take it. And that's why I call it the future of marketing. Is it really the future? We don't know, but I want to, I want to dig deep into kind of your perspective and context as we get into some of these. And I think we're going to have some fun and laugh along the way. I think this next topic <laughs> is, is one that makes me giggle a lot, but maybe it's super serious um, mm -hmm. and, and we should be taking it serious, but it's the metaverse. Okay. What, what does that even mean? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's something so big that one of the biggest technology companies in the world rebranded and renamed their company meta. So I want to take a moment and ask the first question is, is it a fad or is it the future? And if it's the future, what is it? Okay, it's it's the fatty future. Okay, so so my answer is it's a little bit of both. So the interesting thing about the metaverse, when we think about it, all this is is it's a three D version of the internet where you live in this alternate reality that's virtual, right? And so you can be in this space as an avatar and basically plug in in a different space. Now, what's fascinating about this is that we live in a time, and and as marketers, we love this where many of our innovators are more marketers than innovators. You know, we live in a time where, and this is not taking anything away from anyone, you know, brilliant uh, CEOs and innovators are basically repackaging things that have already existed and getting people excited about it. 
you know, when we talk about all of these space launches that have happened recently, people are like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure we did this, you know, 50 years ago, right? <laughs> so but they're like, it's new. Well, not, not, ex I see where we're going, but it's not even technically space. So know that what I'm about to say, part of it's going to be in jest. Some of it's very serious, but I take a very pragmatic approach to these things uh, because it's very easy to get caught up in the hype of things and forget to look at the utility. And so I think when we talk about, is this the future? It's the future because it's already the present. The metaverse has existed for a long time. Anyone who's a gamer has been in the metaverse for years. I remember, I live in Houston, Texas, and I remember when Hurricane Harvey hit, stressful time, you know, my whole city's underwater. I was on Oculus, my Rift at the time, right? This is before the newer one. I was on my Oculus Rift, hanging out with aliens and strange people, you know, just to kind of detach. We've already had metaverses where we can communicate and connect with people. And so now the question is going forward, what is the utility we're attaching to it? Who is it going to help? And I think when we start brainstorming, that's when we start to see where the opportunities lie. You know, yes, we have organizations, large organizations that are already, you know, putting tons of money into it. I want to say Facebook might have invested over 10 billion. I think that's the number and obviously changed their name to Meta. So they're banking on this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Facebook is basically Meta is putting all their eggs in this basket. But who else does this help? And that's where the opportunities lie. Are there opportunities for tourism within this? Are there opportunities for people with disabilities? Uh, what about people with social anxiety disorders and other types of things where maybe you can do some type of treatment through these networks? Are there opportunities for family reunions through here or learning or different types of meetings? And so, you know, I think the thing that many of us have learned over the last two years <clears throat> is that virtual doesn't replace in person. You know, most of us figured that out. You know, anyone who had a uh, Zoom Thanksgiving or Zoom whatever holiday you might celebrate according to your culture knows that while we were thankful that we had access to these kinds of tools, it's not the same. But it can allow us to connect in some pretty amazing ways, right? And so while we crave that in person, we can do so much virtually like we're doing right now. And so is there a space for some types of meetings there? Uh, maybe for international or when there's not, not expecting any future pandemics, but any type of world events where it doesn't make sense for people to come in person, might it be a more immersive experience and closer to real life if we're having this in within the, the metaverse, right? And so I, I really think what organizations and what professionals need to do right now is to start mapping out where the utility lies, who will benefit from this. And I think right now, most of what we hear is flash and shiny, but we have to consider the whole picture of utility. And additionally, we really have to look at our target markets. It's kind of like, you might remember, you know, with social media and then with certain types of email marketing, there was one point where I saw so many organization, organizations shifting completely there. And some of these organizations had traditionalists and elder baby boomers as their target market. And they, were, they weren't servicing them properly. They weren't getting the message out to that group. And so we also have to consider when we talk about what's the future, who is going to adopt this? It's not going to be our entire customer base. And some of our customers might be more open than others. Um, what is the learning curve? What are we offering in the space? So I say all of that to say the metaverse is most definitely the future, but much of what we're hearing now 
is still a little fatty. It's still a little gamerish. Oh, you can go here and hang out with people. I went into one of the virtual worlds a couple weeks ago because it's my job to, you know, check out things and see how they work. And I got hit on by a 10 year old. I got out of there quick, right? It's still, some of these are strange places, right? Wow. With, with my grown lady voice. I was like, oh, this is, this is highly uncomfortable. Unplug, 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 right? <laughs> so I think this is the brave new world and we have an opportunity to shape this as well. It is coming, but is it coming in the way that we're expecting or can we even find more useful ways to use this 3D universe? I think that's the question. It, two, two quick thoughts. So the first mm -hmm. is, um, one, I get I like to game a lot. And as you were sharing some of these thoughts, uh, it made me go into thinking of like, how do I engage in gaming and where do I spend my time? And you want to know what's interesting as the metaverse shifts is that the games that are the most successful in the metaverse, we'll call like Fortnite and League of Legends and mm -hmm. And those kinds of games, I play a game called Smite, not as not as popular, but still pretty popular, very good revenue stream for them. They're all free to play. And they so accessibility is instant. You don't have to have anything but a device that can play it. And it's microtransactions. And believe it or not, those games are far more successful on their revenue streams that you're seeing giants like Activision Blizzard and Epic, like going to these models that they dominated the midnight release for this game that was $60 that you had to go to a storefront to buy to now having instant access and fully relying on people to, to buy microtransactions. And it will be interesting to see if that unfolds in other things like healthcare. Could you imagine if you showed up someplace to get like an eye exam and the exam was free because the transaction for the actual lenses or the contacts that you were gonna buy are so lucrative or supported by some kind of microtransaction from a marketing organization to get their branding in that person's office. So let's just say, hey, I'm an exclusive provider of a certain mm. type of contact lens and I want to have that exclusivity, give free exams and we will, you know, we will we'll pay for that and you, you know, you sell our contacts. Um, and we had a customer who was in the denture space asking the same thing. And he's like, you know, once somebody gets in and has their exam done, we, it's like 95% close rate. The problem is getting people to the exam. And so mm -hmm. we actually challenged them. And this was three years ago, but this was pretty forward thinking then was why don't you partner with Uber? And if they say they can't make it, say, we're going to have an Uber show up to your house, pick you up and bring you to your appointment. It's just so interesting, like as you start to think about the metaverse, is it going to be like Ready Player One? No, probably not, but you know, there's going to be aspects of it where, you right. know, the smart marketing teams that are are wanting to be more um, on the bleeding edge of how they can engage with other consumers of their products in the supply chain, you know, those products might start to become free because the access actually brings people and actually drives loyalty. And I spend more. I shouldn't say this, but I spend way more on this game than I ever would if I had paid $60 and had all the content up front. So it's shifting. Oh, sure. and, and all the additional merch and different things you can buy within these games. It's the, the revenue earning potential is astounding. And I also think you talk about the future of the metaverse. It really depends on, and we know the technology is constantly improving, but what the technology can do. For instance, you know, Google has Project Starline where they're basically you're, you're in the metaverse with someone else and it's creating 
basically the avatar being them, but very precise. And so they're still kind of eking out the details on that now. But imagine your family member who you haven't seen in forever or going back to that meeting scenario. And it really is just like them sitting there. It really looks like them. Well, now that's a little different, you know, and, and that's don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with, you know, meeting up with family, friends and, and other people that are dressed as pandas or, you know, dancing spoons. But it's different. Right. When yeah. when you're showing up as yourself in that space. And then the, the last point I wanted to make is we kind of pressure tested this. We had to. So I think that's also I think we got decades worth of learning in a two and a half year pandemic to understand, you know, what what are people's tolerances for just a total virtual world? I think to your mm -hmm. point, and, and I'm experiencing it too, social engagement is a necessity of the human condition. We need physical um, touch, you know, whether we're shaking people's hands, fist bumping, celebrating together like that, mm -hmm. that kind of interaction is just so critically important and how much business is done in the hallway. Like you said, you know, innovation is going to be predicated on us having some level of hybrid environment going forward. So I'm, I'm really excited to see um, how this plays out. And I'm really excited for our customers and for Lev to, to try it out ourselves and, and really find where, where we fit in the, in the future metaverse, if that even continues to be how we address it. Right. So, Transitioning to another topic that, and this one really is so interesting to me because I see being in the tech space, I've, I have a lot of friends who are in the tech space and I'm seeing in droves, and I mean in droves, Crystal, people ditching their very cushy, safe job and mm -hmm. going and starting up startups in the Web3 space. And if you listen to them talk, they talk as if this, if, if you're not into Web3, you are going to be irrelevant. And they say, it is now. It is not tomorrow. It is now. And you're already behind. So what is Web3, first of all, right? It's, it's blockchain. Mm -hmm. It's crypto. It's NFT. It's all the things that you're hearing. Like, mm -hmm. But from your perspective, again, I'm going to ask the same question. Fad? Or is it future? Because people are going all in on cryptocurrencies. They're going all in on NFTs. And candidly, it's it's one of those things when you're like, I've got to be missing what this is because it just, in some cases, just seems so so interesting that I would pay thousands of dollars for a picture that somebody else could have, right, as an NFT. But marketers wow. are hearing this. Get your NFT strategy together. So Web3, unpack that for us a little bit, Crystal. Um, so I wanted to have actually created notes for this because I want to be succinct, but give the best definition possible. So the way I'd like to explain it, it's basically a decentralized online ecosystem that is based on blockchain. So we have to understand that that is kind of the underpinning of it. So a lot of that eagerness we heard about blockchain starting years ago. And, and I, you know, I bought into crypto way before it was popular. So I'm someone who's very familiar with it, but minus the hype factor. I'm, again, I'm, I'm kind of the, pragma I'm the pragmatist, right? Um, so that's one part of it. But the most important thing that we hear from the people that are the believers in it is how it gets rid of the gatekeepers. You know, they talk about everyone owning a piece of it. And um, so now we have this more democratic web. And to that, I say, no, I, I the thought, yes. But in the end, the same thing. Let, let's go back to social media. In the beginning of social networks, they were not 
really commercialized. They were all about those interactions. And then over time, companies come in. Thank goodness, because this is we're, we're talking to marketers, right? We're talking to people that do this. They come in and it shifts the dynamic a little bit. Same thing with the internet. Originally, it really wasn't about commerce. It was about connections. Um, it was about communications. And then you kind of had this the forces, right? So in the beginning, yes. Uh, right now, it is easier to take advantage of applications in that space and to be creative in that space and kind of lay your stakes in there. But it's not going to stay uh, this wonderful, democratized, everyone has an equal chance. That's just not how things work, you know? So I think this is a good time to get in. But in the long term, I'm not quite sure that that's going to be the reality for it. Now, the benefit of it is, is that it's really on the technology that's running on the blockchain itself. There's, there's a lot of things with blockchain that are kind of underpinning that are already affecting things in society, the way we do some things in finance that most people aren't aware of. The challenge with, um, when we talk about Web3 is it goes back to, there is a communication issue on what it is. And so when we talk about our potential clients, our current customers, all these folks, getting them to leverage things like NFTs in this space and stuff like that. Right now, it sounds like jargon. I did a survey of my Facebook uh, followers, right? And I mean, it, it's people of all ages, all over the world. You see a little bit of everything. And I asked them, you know, what comes to mind when you hear the word blockchain or NFT or crypto? Give me a word for each of those. By and large, and this is starting with millennials, most people are confused. Now, what's interesting is as a demographic, Gen X is actually the most active in this space out of any other demographic. So it's kind of interesting that it's kind of the folks in the middle. But we do have to think about our target market and we always have to think about utility. The blessing when it comes to this space, especially when we talk about like NFTs, is that what people do understand is community. You know, I don't use this word because it's a little bit problematic from a DEI perspective, but like when we hear about tribes online, right? And people building their communities. Well, NFTs allow you to build community and take ownership over particular projects. And yes, some of them are kind of strange and wacky, but I think we can ignore some of the strange and wacky and think about the actual utility. What communities are people already a part of? You know, when you think about, you know, Ryan, you're a gamer, right? So that's a very specific type of person, the gamer mentality. I know because I'm married to a gamer. I'm married to someone who back in the day would camp out for games outside of GameStop, right? So I, mm -hmm. I understand the mentality. There are people that call themselves sneakerheads, right? And so they get these shoe drops and they run on it and they pay all this money for the shoes, like immediately online. Who has a cult following? Who has strong community where people want to take ownership? So I think there's some opportunities in the grassroots space uh, when it comes to community organizing. There's opportunities for brands that have, again, those kind of cult followings. I personally think that direct sales companies could do amazingly well in the NFT space. And so we have to think about the psychographics of our customers and our target audience. And depending on their psychographics, that will determine how much time we should invest in this space right now. It's coming to everybody no matter what, but how we utilize it and how much time and energy I really think should be impacted by what's likely to be the ROI based on our current customers. And I, you brought up an interesting point, which was people are confused by it. And I, I, there's going to have to be an, a simplification of these marketplaces and exchanges that people buy these off of. Because to me, that that is the, that is the point of entry. Going back to when we were talking about the metaverse, the free to play games, 
you know, hey, you know, Epic took Apple to court over their in-app purchases because one of their main platforms for their game is the Apple Apple ecosystem. People are playing it on their phones. So it'll be interesting to see when those exchanges become more simplified or unified, because for me, even somebody who reads up about this stuff and really kind of geeks out on it, I still have a hard time trace, you know, with the traceability back to where do I need to go? What currency am I paying it in? You know, what kind of ownership do I have? Um, that said, in, in your mind, what do you think the timing is on the trajectory of, of like the, the arrival of Web3 being something that is in our every it, it's here every day, but like in the lives of everyday people, like an iPhone could be or, or a Google phone could be? If I were to guess, and this is a very difficult guess because there's so many events that can impact timelines. For, so for instance, I'll give you, before I give you my prediction on this, I'll give you an example, QR codes. Um, when they first came out, were they interesting? Were they novel? Were they useful? They were. Were they also kind of goofy because you have to download an app to be able to do it and most people didn't want to take the space? Absolutely. And so, you know, I was one of those people that was like, unless something dramatic happens, QR codes, not really. But then the app was built into our phones, whether we had Android or whether we had an iPhone, right? So then it became easy. Okay, we can we can scan stuff just by opening our camera. That takes out having to download different apps and figure out the best app to read them. And then we had the pandemic, right? Where everything was touchless now. So suddenly everybody started using them when it came to going to restaurants or looking at menus. And so what was the timeline supposed to be for that? Who could have predicted it? You think about the fact that we've had visual phones since like the, I wanna say the mid nineties, maybe early nineties. Nobody was interested then. It was, it was a novel idea, but then people were like, do I really want people to see my face? And it wasn't until we had it on smartphones where it became something that people wanted in everyday life. I say all that to say, I am not sure, but if I were to guess about three years, but any kind of world event outside of this space could impact it and make it happen faster. That's fair. Yeah, I, I'm always trying to figure out how we better position from an advisory perspective. Like, mm -hmm. where do you spend your time? Because there are so many different things buzzing around marketers' heads as far as their strategic roadmap, where they take their investments, and ultimately where they have to pull their organization with them. Because again, to your point, yeah. the generational gaps are can be different with the people that are funding it, like CFOs and CEOs, to the marketer who's like, this is now, this was yesterday, get on it. Oh, and by the way, it takes all of this as a as a organization to bring it together. That's that's a pretty that's a pretty ambitious, you know, transformational process for an organization. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's just always interesting to kind of get your perspective on. Hey, you know, it should be on your radar, but how, how much on your radar? I think the challenge is here is that because we're, we are undergoing so much change. You know, I was doing a presentation yesterday for an audience and, and I did an activity with them to show them how our brains react to change and see change as danger, right? Like just naturally. And there's, there's some serious biological reasons behind that, right? But we're going through so much change right now that there's this constant fear of being left behind. And part of it is, is we're constantly being beat over the head with the message. If you don't, if you don't adapt this really quick, you're gonna be left behind. What about this? If you don't do this, you're left behind. And so what happens is we're, we're, we're trying to innovate from a place of fear. 
That is impossible. And here's why. If you're running from a bear, you can't have innovative thoughts while you're running from a bear. You're focused on running from the bear. And so what we have to do is slow down for a second. And I know that's counter to everything that anyone is telling everyone who's with us right now, right? Slow down, pause for a second. Start with, you know, when you think about your organization, what are your values? What is it you've promised to deliver to your customers, right? And then start thinking about what innovations impact these values and our promise to our customers. Those are the things we need to start with first. This whole fear of being left behind and being made irrelevant if we don't adopt every single thing immediately, that's going to get us into trouble because so much money is wasted because we're just trying to keep from being left behind versus strategically thinking about, you know what, which one of these technologies will help us offer the best service or products to our customers? Which one of these things will allow us to be more efficient and effective in a way that's going to build our brand even more? Wise words, wise words. Well, with with the roughly 15 minutes we have left, Crystal, I wanna anchor us back into some maybe more tactical thoughts um, that I know our audience is, is being bombarded with. And the reality is, has to be important for their business. Mm -hmm. We have more data now than we've ever had. Um, and we collect more, I, I you know, the, the, there's crazy quotes out there that we collect more data like in an hour than we ever did over the past hundred years. You know, it's like, really the, the, the data that people have on people is scary. Um, but it's also what powers the experiences people expect to have. Mm -hmm. So the question is around this theme of AI, AR, and the future of data. So mm -hmm. data is in every marketer strategy. And if it's not, I stop, turn around, go back and put it in your strategy because it has to be in your strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and the world of data is changing more now than ever. So privacy advocacy is out there. You've got companies like Apple who are, who are putting in proxy servers so that marketers don't know where exactly you are or what your demographics are. So there's all kinds of channels. What we would call is relevant demographic data for us to give highly personalized experiences. Can you share your overall perspective on where you see data going as it's trans transformed um, over the past, let's just call it three years, um, and into this future that we're going into, which is, hey, one, we need AI, we need ML and AR to bring about these experiences, but also in the face of headwinds of, you know, data privacy, like, just share some thoughts on how you see data being the, the future of marketing, despite some of these challenges that are in front of marketers today. Yeah, so for sure, data is obviously extremely important. I think Walmart might have been the first large corporation to really invest in data scientists on a large scale. Um, and, and they were what, what they did was they hired them, this was years ago, because they were interested in seeing what their people in Florida, when there's a hurricane approaching you, they wanted to see what people were going out there and buying as the larger percentage increase. So they wanted to see how they need to stock differently in the event of a hurricane, something I can appreciate. I live in Houston, Texas, right? Hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And so they took about five years worth of data and they took data from weather patterns for five years around the Florida coast and also all of their store sales over that five year period. And what they found was really fascinating. When you 
find, when you look for the item that saw the largest percentage increase, most people, if we were to guess, we would say something like water or batteries or whatever staples you think of. But in the end, what they found was that number one thing that saw the largest percentage increase was strawberry Pop-Tarts. That's not logical. Humans are not logical. And if you were to ask their customers, what is the thing that you buy more of that you normally don't buy as much of during hurricanes, no one's going to say it's it's strawberry Pop-Tart. So it's not that our customers and consumers are liars. Oftentimes we're unaware of our own behaviors, right? There's things kind of going on under, we, we have too many other things on our mind. We're just living. And so data allows us to make intelligent decisions. One of the challenges though within an organization is that As a marketer, you see the importance of data, but oftentimes the rest of the organization does not. So getting that data collected in the first place can be quite a bit of a challenge. And then making sure that the data is clean and usable is a completely other thing because we can have all the data in the world, but if the way it's stored is such that we can't actually access it when we need it, it's not very helpful. So I think we have, we know we need data. We see how it makes us uh, make smarter business decisions. We see how we can drive customers to purchase from us. We see how we can follow them around and understand their behaviors to even uh, give them predictive offerings, right? That we know that they would be interested in based on their behaviors. The other force that we're dealing though is that when we're looking at privacy, that's becoming a larger and larger issue. And because we live in a global society, we're seeing that some of the laws that are happening, for instance, in Europe are kind of coming on over into the United States. I actually did quite a work, uh, quite a bit of work in Europe too, and it's a completely different ball game when it comes to managing your own data. And so as we're starting to move closer to, you know, cookie-less world right now, and it's, being, it's becoming harder to get data, it's more and more important for us to incentivize people to give us data. And that's where the creativity comes in because it's not just simply a matter of sign up here. I'll give you an example. I'm not a hard person to get data from, but I'm not easy either. And so when I see something online, you know, maybe you're on social media and you see that ad and it's like, ooh, that looks cool. I think I'm gonna buy that. And you click on it. When it requires you to put in information before you can access more information about it, I never buy from them, not once. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, we you gotta wine and dine me first. We move too fast in this relationship. So we have to figure out how do we incentivize people to give us their data? Um, We have companies, as you said, like Apple, that are making it a little bit harder for us to get that data. And so now we start thinking about, you know, earlier we're talking about Web3 and some of the components there. Is there an NFT opportunity? Is it partial ownership and things? Where can we start to get creative to get people to willingly keep giving us information? Our existing customers, how do we get them to keep giving us information? In the past, we'd offer coupons or discounts but there might be more creative ways to do it that build a stronger sense of community. So in the end, we know we need data. We know it's becoming harder to get. And so now we're in this position where we have to be more and more creative in getting the data that we can, convincing the other teams to actually collect it at whatever points they do, especially if there's an uh, in-person component to our organizations. I know we have different types of organizations with us. And then we have to make sure that the data that we're getting is clean and set up in a way where we can actually access it and make it usable. That's a completely different ball game. And that has more to do with systems than anything else. Yeah, and I wanna take it to systems here in a second, Crystal. So, um, but just a quick thought as you were talking about data, right? I I truly believe loyalty 
is shifting the way that we're collecting data and loyalty will be less about what can we do for you financially. And it's going to be more about what experiences can I provide to you? And, um, you know, as a person who traveled a lot, you know, my loyalty that I had with airlines or hotel rooms was less about, I've got points to go on free trips. And it was about, Hey, when my flight cancels, I can pick up the phone. And when I call, I get somebody who answers my phone call and they book me on the next available flight without taking me off this flight, just in case this one goes fast out faster. That's a different kind of loyalty. That's helping your experience be something that's much better. And that's where I always encourage the marketing and strategy folks that I talk to to say, hey, it's not always about what you can give somebody monetarily. It's about what you can do to make their experience better. And that's not only with your customers, that's with your employees, because you'll never meet a happy customer who meets a miserable employee. So if you have happy employees, you will have happy mm -hmm. customers. Um, and it's, I love it, that. I, I love that. Cause it sounds like you're, you're taking, you're, you're advocating for a less transactional relationship because when you have customers that are only coming back to you because they get a coupon every month, right? What happens when they don't get the coupon or if something, if something happens in the process, but if they are coming to you because of service and, and it sounds like we're kind of similar, Ryan, it's, so I don't have arguments online about political things or anything like that. But the only kind of arguments I have on social media, and I intentionally create these to let people kind of fight, is about brands I support. So there's a certain ice cream company that that I am I've been loyal to since I was 12, and people will fight over the best ice cream. There's an airline. There's all these different things, the brands, but people think it's hilarious how loyal I am to these things, almost as though they were family members. But it is about the relationship. It is not transactional. And when we understand that marketing is simply building mass relationships. Now it makes sense because even in our personal relationships, transactional relationships will only get you so far. Loyalty is a whole different ball game when it goes beyond that. And so this is just the same thing in the business arena. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So in our last couple of minutes here, we're going to have two quick questions. So the first is, and let, let's tie them together. Um, okay. You're hearing things like MDM, CDP. I guarantee you we've had, we've had sessions on CDP like, should you be thinking about this? Why is this important? Is it something you should be doing now? Of course, we're like, yes, you should be, right? These, again, it goes into richer data gives richer opportunities to have richer attribution, which is richer segmentation, which allows you to have personalized experiences like we're just talking about. Um, so what are your thoughts on the, the emergence of CDPs and MDM like solutions and technology? And then we'll tie the last question and we'll land this conversation with, how does an executive within a marketing organization have the most effective way of bringing their organization along with them? Because you're going to get to IT and IT is going to say, you don't need that data, right? Even though they're collecting it, or you're going to go to, to brand teams and they're like, you don't touch my brand. No, we are one brand because it might be a, mm -hmm. a multi-branded organization that's trying to service the same customer across different brands. So that that's where I want to, I kind of want to anchor this conversation is, okay. all right, Yes. How important are these technologies? How should you be thinking about them? And how do you bring your organization with you so that you can have unified success? Because that's what's required. So customer data platforms are extremely important. And right now, you know, the first types of organizations that I saw leveraging, leveraging them really well. One of my clients is one of the most recognizable gaming organizations in the world globally. And gaming companies, and when I say gaming, I mean, uh, like, like, you know, like in Las Vegas, right? So yeah. that type of gaming, yeah. I don't, I don't mean video gaming. 
Yeah, um, table gaming, things like that. Yeah. Yes. And they are having tremendous success because they're analyzing what types of games people play because they have the cards now, right? They're not just, it's not just you're putting money yeah. in. So they're tracking everything. Where are they eating? Where are they staying? What's the average? They're looking at all this data and they're actually pumping it back and using it to offer solutions and offers to people. And they're seeing a dramatic increase in usage. And so I think this data is extremely important and creating a system that tracks it. And really many of these also connect with uh, something that's still fairly new. I mean, they've existed for a while is um, customer experience platforms as well, right? Because we have CRMs, but customer experience is a little bit different. And so when we talk about uh, CDPs, it's kind of combining all these different things into one place to get all the data. Now, in terms of getting all the other people in the office on board, oftentimes one of the issues is, is that many organizations work in silos. And that, that really is not a problem of just larger organizations. Even mid-sized organizations have that issue. And so what we do is when we ask our peers for something, we tend to present the features and not the benefits, and specifically the benefits to them and the end client. And so if you're going to another department saying, hey, we need this data, or we need to start collecting this, their resistance is because they don't understand the big picture. Their resistance is because they don't understand that their job depends on you all continuing to grow or meeting a certain mark. They don't understand that, oh, if we increase customers by this much, typically the average salary here goes up by this much. Or if we collect this data, we'll be able to do this thing better for our customers. And so I think communicating in terms of benefits and then holding other teams accountable. There has to be someone somewhere in the organization that, again, it's that carrot and the stick thing. And I'm a big fan of the carrot and I rarely believe in bringing out the stick, but you might have to have somebody that has the stick too, right? But start right. off with just making sure there's a fundamental understanding of the importance, how it affects them, their teams, and the client or customer. Yeah, I two things that I take away from that. One, it's velocity to deliver the value. That's super important. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to like, why are customer data platforms and customer experience platforms so important? is because the velocity to get that done has to be in the moment. It's what they did microseconds ago that you want to hit them back up with. Yes. And credit card companies have been really good at that, where you make a big transaction and they say, do you want to plan it, right? And and, and use like an interest-free, like, or give you a different mm -hmm. offer instantly. I think we can learn a lot from that. And then the second thing is always articulating and illustrating that you're building a machine that if you put a dollar into it, it spits a $5 bill out. And yes. so I don't no CFO you'll ever meet in the world. If you can show them the return like that, they're going to give you as many dollars as you ever need in order to accomplish what you're doing. So don't be afraid to have the conversation about budget. If the ROI can be shown and illustrated that it's going to have a significant revenue impact on the business. So Agreed. with that, this has been an absolute privilege to have you at ultraviolet. Thank you so much your background and your time and, and most importantly your knowledge with our uh, with our audience today i really hope we have an opportunity to do this again in the future and we wish you all the best um in the coming year and in the future and thank turn, you. yeah you're welcome and thank thank you um and everybody else thank you right this is i hope this was insightful also it stroked some areas of curiosity and also most importantly inspired you um, as you're continuing on this journey of making your organizations world-class. We still have a few sessions left. 
So make sure that uh, you plug into those incredible thought leadership, as well as practical insights on how to accomplish those ideas to be shared. And um, I just also want to continue to thank our sponsors for their continued support of the Ultraviolet Con Conference. With that, thank you and have a great afternoon and rest of the week. So based off of Ryan and Crystal talking about the metaverse, what's your favorite thing about the metaverse? Uh, I like the word meta, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> Honestly, See, I, like, think, I think the word verse is better than meta. <laughs> um, you know, like I've, I've just kind of dabbled, you know, just dipping a toe in and there's, there's just so much that there's so many differing opinions that like, I have a hard time for me, it becomes like a self-education thing where like self-education is so inefficient, but we've had to resort to it a lot, but there's so many different sources with different information and opposing views. And like, it's just, it's, it's hard to pick one side or the other, or what's, you know, what the next step is like, I don't know, that's that, the whole futurist thing. is going to be, it's a little intimidating, honestly. Yeah. It's especially like, cause obviously all these companies have gone like way into it, but it's interesting what, um, like what kind of what it will look like. And I understand kind of the, I, I just always think of it as the Sims, you know, that old computer game. I don't know if that's actually what it is, but that's, that's how I, how I think about it. I'm sure someone would actually, um, or should actually, I should actually look it up to figure out what it, what it really is. Cause it's going to affect our job at some point, but is there any, is there any kind of future, um, like uh, um, like fork or uh, prediction that you have or something that you'd like to see in the future, like a flying car or something like that? Definitely rain tomorrow afternoon. Um, barometric pressure is going to fall. Uh, no. Um, oh, man. <laughs> that's, that's about as, as far out as my predictions can get. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that. Barometric pressure, I can almost guarantee you I'm locked in on. Um, yeah, that's that's tough. Why wow, you got you have a prediction off the top of your head? Are you gonna go? Oh boy! Uh, you gonna go Jets on me? Um, I I so I think at some point um, the the console so like you know iOS is is uh, you know the, the tightest operating system platform you know as opposed to like Android and things like that. But I think at some point like the general like this sort of like blockchain concept and value that we're seeing develop like in, in finance right now, I think is going to come into um, operating system where like you're not gonna be downloading apps necessarily. Um, and so you, you've already seen some of this where like, you know, QR codes can bring you to a site that basically operates as the, mo you know, a mobile site that operates as an app. Um, I think that the concept of apps is not only cumbersome right now, but is going to be seeing its, way out uh, where you shouldn't have to download go go to an app store download an app just to access that company's information to get the thing that you wanted to buy a product or to get information like that's going to be wayward soon and we're going to look back on like hey remember when you had to like scroll through your phone like eight times to get to that one app that you already had that you downloaded once and didn't use but for a special like that that's going to be wayward yeah that's interesting because it's if you think about it now the whole reason you're downloading the app is to your point accessing the company's information and at the same time, they're collecting all of your information. So it's really, 
pro business, it doesn't really help the customer. I mean, I'm sure there are some instances where it does, but like I, I use um, the Xfinity app and like for some, for some things it's great, but like we also have Xfinity mobile and you can't, there's no mobile capability within the Xfinity app. So it just takes you to the site, the mobile site for Xfinity mobile. Yeah. And then the problem is too, is like, this is, this is a, a hurdle that the customer has to get past. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're in every other facet of the marketing world. We're seeing marketers finally, slowly, but finally adapt to the concept of make the conversion or make the access to information, whatever, as frictionless as possible. But we still want you to go download an app. Like I, I was, you know, not too long ago, I was uh, uh, trying to go to some, you know, event and they're like, oh, you've uh, download our app and then we have to see this transaction. Then you got to put this in and put your name here. And I was like, whoa, this is, as, as a marketer, I like, I, my hairs were staying on the back of my neck. It was just, oh, it was, it was painful going through all this work as a consumer. And they have like a line of people just waiting to do this. And it's like, wow, I, I hope you guys are offering large scale volume because, you know, all, all the days of you being able to collect this information and you know have consumers download all this, all you know, a, a mobile app and all this stuff is not only limited, but the days of you being able to hold that information and pretend to own it as your own are also limited because of all the you know data privacy restrictions and things like that coming down. Where the whole purpose of downloading an app is going to be obsolete because of that. So yeah, like you like me as the consumer, you can have whatever information I want you to have because it provides benefit to me. But if you're not providing benefit to me, you're not accessing my, you know, my apps, my operating system. I'm not giving you information. Like it's, I, I those, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm a little surprised that we, we aren't further down that road that we are now. Have you seen, my brother-in-law sent me this, uh, like it's a basically like a, a big drone. It's called the Jetson One. And it's for, it's a one-seater that you stand for it. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and it's got like, I think it's four or eight propellers similar to like how a drone would, it is pretty cool. Cause up to 60 miles an hour stays under 1500 feet. Um, so it's not regulated yet. I think that's what I would like to see. I'd like to see better transportation options, like for, especially for short-term transportation. Uh, are, are you thinking about all like airspace travel drones? Or are you thinking like, um, like. Elon Musk's tube concept, like the underground, like you know, I'm I'm open. San Fran to New a, York in 45 yeah, minutes, blast. That would be cool. Although that, like that, traveling at that highest speed makes me kind of nervous. Because I feel like if there's a malfunction of anything, you're toast. Yeah, but same. I haven't. Though. You know, newsflash: I haven't spent a lot of time diving into this subject so i'm probably not the best person to speak on it <laughs> but i will go 1500 feet in the air in a drone just to you know jetson things out exactly exactly well we hope you enjoyed the conversation with ryan and crystal as always you can get in touch with us in the clouds at love and we'll see you later